Anyway, Heart Matters, Haggai, please join me. Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. The last time we were together, we looked at the introduction, basically, of Haggai. It was in the second year of King Darius, the sixth month. And, and by the way, I, I sent out a pop quiz this week. And uh, anyway, if you, I'm going to keep doing that each week. And uh, there was one question I'm going to throw out because when I went back and looked at it, it was a question that was actually for this week. So uh, i throw that out. All you got to do is click the link when I send it, and you can go to SurveyMonkey, um, and you can take the quiz. It's usually 10 questions, and I'll try to get better at uh, keeping the dates right on the time. October 12th, that's a big day. That was the day that the king of Persia defeated the Babylonian army and freed the Israelites. And the people had been back home roughly 15 to 20 years. And they had started some work on the temple. But they had <clears throat> actually neglected the rest of it. And so today we're looking at heart matters. Many of us at some point in our lives are going to go see a heart doctor. I've seen a couple in my days, and eventually, if you live long enough, you're going to see a heart doctor, and maybe you have arrhythmia, all these types of things that could possibly go wrong with your heart or maybe needing some tweaking. Well, the heart doctor will come in and say, okay, this is what we need to do. These are the meds we need to give, and then he or she will make a correction to your physical heart. But what Haggai is telling the people today is you've got to look inward. And you'll see that here in just, in just a minute. First of all, Haggai tells us that we need to evaluate our lives. That we need to evaluate our lives. We look at the command first. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, 14 times in two chapters. You may need to know this. <laughs> 14 times the Lord of hosts. We looked at this last Sunday. Savah. And that refers to an army. When uh, Haggai mentions this word, the Lord of hosts, it's the host is an army, either a physical army or an angelic army. And 14 times in two chapters is quite a bit. And last week we looked at the fact that God used the Assyrians or the Babylonian army to bring Israel into captivity and also used the Persian army to take them out of captivity. Be reminded of this one fact. God is in control of this world. And he can use armies to bring down empires. And he can use armies to build up empires. It's all part of his plan. So when he says Lord of hosts, we get this, this visual image of not only a physical army, but a spiritual army of angels. And we think about today in our Christian white life, uh, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness uh, of this dark age. And so God has an array of angels that will help in our Christian walk. So Haggai masterfully says the Lord of hosts 14 times. And then twice in these few verses, he says, consider your ways. Levav. Now we know that word from the New Testament. It's Cardia, which is heart. So most people read this and they go, consider your ways. That's just to 
to think about it or to maybe ponder it. But that's not the case here. When Haggai says, consider your ways, he wants them to go inward. And this word levav means heart, inner man, and the seat of the conscience. It doesn't mean to ponder or to think about in a sense, but it means to go to the very essence of who you are. Look at your heart realistically. Who are you in Christ? It is a self-examination, something that we have to encounter within our own selves. And then he uses the word consider, not only inward, but consider your ways. That word is derek, and that means path or life or conduct or habits or behavior. So Haggai is wanting them, first of all, to look inward and then look outward because what is happening outwardly is a symptom of what has happened inwardly. So if you look at your life and you do a quick examination, you say, you know what, um, this is wrong in my life, this is wrong in my life, this is wrong, this is right, this is right, but I need to work on these three because this eventually affects how you live your life. Jesus said it's not what goes in the body that defiles, it's what proceeds out of your mouth. And actually, if you can look at your life today and you can see semblance of God in your life and you can see the effects of God in your life, then chances are the inward is well. It is well. Taylor and Clendon, in their commentary, write this. The expression is a negative one, suggesting that their ways or paths have deviated from behavior, and that's uh, encompassed in that word, uh, your ways. Behavior characterized by integrity, lack of integrity, and obedience. The figure surfaces the concerns that were not as they should be. There were prior failures that have not significantly been addressed. So Haggai's telling them, look, when you guys came out of exile and God delivered you from the Persian army, there's something that did not happen in your life. You didn't start rebuilding the temple. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. But the fact is that as we live our own Christian lives, we need to look at what we are doing for him, look at our lives, and make a determination if what is inward is projecting outward. And so Haggai, consider your ways very masterful. It also gives us a chance, and Scripture tells us to evaluate our lives over and over and over again. I'm going to give you a couple of them. One of them is from Lamentations 3.40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Every one of us, those watching by Facebook, whatever means we have out there, we should be checking our lives constantly. It's not like I get saved and then I just live my life. We should constantly be going back and looking and examining what my life looks like, what it looks like to a lost world, what it looks like to God. That's the most important because if what it looks like to God, he knows even by even though we can fake the outward, he knows the inward. 
And so we've got to, we've got to learn to regulate not only the inward, who we are at our essence, but also make sure that that matches our walk. And so this idea of evaluating. Romans, in a Christian contemporary setting, at least we like to think that we're New Testament Christians, but ultimately we're Old Testament Christians. Uh, Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And mind and heart, very, very crit- critical. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So Haggai is calling on the people of Israel to evaluate their lives. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you sat down and evaluated your life? I'm, I'm not talking about for the church. I'm talking about your own personal life. When was the last time you sat down and said, look, God, this is who I am. Can you help me change what's going on in my life and in my heart? We all have struggles. We all have trials. We all have tribulation. We all have things. And sometimes those things can become problematic as we live our lives. It can blind us to the blessings of God. It can, it can blind us to uh, our own sin and our own shortcomings and our own failings. Uh, and so I think it really is good to evaluate periodically. Uh, one of the best ways to do that is through an uh, accountability partner, something we don't like to talk about a lot, uh, an accountability partner. What kind of thoughts are you having during the week? How are you living your life? It might be good to get an accountability partner and meet once a week just to say, you know, ask some tough questions. What are you looking at online? What are you, uh, what are you thinking about in your own life to make sure that you are living inwardly and outwardly as pure as possible? It doesn't mean we're going to do it perfectly. Don't ever get me uh, thinking that I ever said anything like that. But we need to look back and evaluate. It did have a big in, it did have a big impact. It did have a big impact for them living not quite the way God wanted them to. And it showed up in the necessities. It showed up in the necessities. Listen to what Haggai writes in verse six. "You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you're never full. You drink, but you're never, you're never full. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. So let's look at this for a minute. The nation of Israel has returned from Babylonian captivity at the hands of the Persian Empire. The king of Persia says, go back home, Israelites. And I want you to resume your relationship with God. The Persian, uh, the, the Persian king and the Persian empire was very friendly to uh, things of God. And so they returned back home. They did start some of the work, but they didn't finish it. What happened is they went back home and they said, you know what, we need to, we need to fix our homes up and we need to get that straight. And so they did. And they were living very comfortably at the time. 
But then something happened. So Haggai's telling them to consider their ways because look at their lives, what is taking place in their life. First of all, Haggai said that they planted crops and they didn't get much. They, they planted, but they got a very meager return. Secondly, they didn't have enough food. See, they've been back home a while. They've, been, they've kind of put God's house and uh, God's uh, priorities off to the side. And so Haggai says, look, 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 wake up. This is what's happening in your life. You plant, you got very little. Now you have very little bread. And by the way, your wells are drying up. You don't have enough to drink. You drink, but it's just not enough because there's no rain. And then, fourthly, Haggai says, you clothe yourself, but nobody's warm. Now, Haggai's trying to draw a connection between their failure to do what God required them to do when they returned back from Babylonian captivity to the implications of that for their life. You see the connection? Haggai puts this right here, right after he says, consider your ways and how you are walking for God and what God has called you to do. And by the way, you just get paid and the money doesn't go as far as it should. You earn your wage and it's like there's a hole inside of your bag and it falls out. So this leads me to a very interesting point in this sermon. Something to, to think about. If we are not living for God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, and with all of our might, and we are not loving our neighbor as ourselves, is God then obligated to bless us completely. You may have enough to eat. You may have clothing. And so there may be a connection here. Not always. Our economy is in the tank right now. People are struggling. And so sometimes it's not a failure on the part of the people. Sometimes it's a failure on the part of those who are in charge. But ultimately... The question I asked myself, and I wrote it down and I put two hearts on it, is God obligated to bless those who are not living for him? So is it possible, is it possible in our own Christian walk that we are missing a full blessing of God simply because we have not considered our ways inwardly and looked at our lives outwardly and dealt with that issue, and God is withholding some type of blessing. May not always be the case, but sometimes it might be. And that's something, I'm just going to put it out there, that Haggai seems to be alluding to, you didn't do what God told you to do, so you're not, you're not getting a big harvest like, like he wants to bless you, and you're not getting enough food, there's not enough bread, and you're not getting enough water, and you're you're not clothing you don't have enough clothing to keep yourself warm 
and your money's not going as far as it should. Now that question is pretty important. I know Paul says, you know, I've, I've learned to be content with all things. And sometimes there's going to be times in your life when you don't have a lot. And it has nothing to do with the spiritual failure on your part. But sometimes it is. Sometimes I think it could be that we are not living for him and we're missing a full blessing. I'm not talking about charismatic blessing. I'm talking about maybe if I look and I examine my life, there may be a correlation between how I'm living inwardly and outwardly and God's lack of blessing. It gives us something to ponder. He says, you know, consider your ways. You've sown much, you harvested little. You eat, you never have enough. You drink, you're never full. You put clothes on yourself, you're still not warm. (coughs) And he who earns a wage does so to put it in a bag that has holes in it. Peter Williams. When our homes, family, work, pleasures, etc., I always like that from the king and I, etc., etc., etc. Begin to displace and jeopardize the centrality of Christ in our lives. It spells spiritual danger. That is absolutely true. When things in our lives apart from Christ start taking away from Christ, it is a spiritual danger area. It means we are beginning to live our Christian lives at a shallower level, And the Holy Spirit, I like this, and the Holy Spirit, instead of holding the controlling place, has to struggle to compete with all of those things that have a foothold in our lives. You know, this isn't for me to determine for you. But maybe, and we're going to get into the more encouraging part later. Maybe we need to look at our lives and get real with God. And say, look, God, I'm not living for you. And this is the wonderful thing about God. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm not living for you. I want every blessing that you have for me. Let me ask for forgiveness of how I'm living. And that's it. There's no hoops to jump through. You just act like David. Lord, create in me a clean heart, a new heart to live for you. That's all God wants. That's all God wants is for people to live for him and to love him with all of their hearts. Again, starting to realize why the doctor said maybe 15 minutes. Um, Again, it's not always the case. It's not always the case. You could be living for God and have very little. But then it could be, it could be that you're not living for God and you still have a little when God is willing to bless you. You have to figure that out for yourself. So, 
evaluate your lives and do his work. Thus says the Lord of hosts 14 times. You'll probably see that again this week, 14 times. If anybody gets it wrong, <coughs> 14 times. Lord of hosts, physical army, spiritual army, angelic army. Consider your ways. He says it again, inward. Make sure the outward matches the inward. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. This Build the house is the temple. Now, we have to go back to Ezra to see this. In Ezra 1, 2, and 3, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, this is a Persian king, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He just wiped out Babylon, the Babylonian army, just wiped them out, got rid of all of them took down their kingdom. And the king says, they've given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, a Persian king, which is in Ju Judah, a southern kingdom, which Israel's about middle. Whoever is among you of all of his people, all you Israelites, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord the God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. So, when the king of Persia, uh, Darius, freed them, they were brought back, and he says, I want you because God told me, it's amazing, God had his hand on this king. And God spoke to this king. Israel had not had a king for over 70 years. So he's speaking to the king of Persia. And he tells them, send them back to Jerusalem and have them build my house. So the Israelites come back. Now let's look at something. Some work had been done. A quick reading of Ezra, well not a quick reading, but a reading of Ezra says that in Ezra 3.3, 3, they built an altar and offered sacrifices. <coughs> they, built an offer, they built an altar and offered sacrifices. Then in Ezra 3.11, they sang praises and laid a foundation. But then in chapter 4, this happens. In chapter 4, then the work on the house of, of God and Israel stopped. And it ceased until the second year of King Darius, which is exactly where we are at in Haggai, in the second year of King Darius. So they initially got home, they built this altar, they sacrificed, then they sang praises and they laid a foundation and then they stopped. Hey, you know what? We've got this done right here. Now let's go home and take care of our house. Let's go home and take care of our families. And God's sitting there going, no, you need to take care of this first. This, is, this takes priority. They, they said, we've got the basics built. Now we're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to plant. 
God's going to bless us. We're going to have plenty of water. We're going to have plenty of wine. We're going to have food. We're going to have all this. And God's going, no, you're not. You're not because you didn't build my house. You started, but then you stopped. So many people in their Christian lives, they start out well. And then the world creeps in. And they stop. Sometimes it's because they've been hurt by a church. Or they've been hurt by Christians. In 33 years of pastoral ministry, I have seen people say they never want to go back to a church again because they were hurt. That's a tough thing when you can kind of understand why they said that. Sometimes we get started and we forget that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Your life and my life with Christ is a marathon. And it requires diligence and it requires toughness as we live our lives for him. So, he says, I want you to go up to the hills and bring wood and build my house. And I did research on this. It, it's kind of difficult. I, 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 think, I think what he's talking about is the cedars of Lebanon. This was imported. Um, you see how big these are. And the, the real question is, and depending on the scholar that you read, and I'm going to leave it to your own interpretation. Uh, some scholars said this would be for the roofing structure, but then the rest would be uh, brick. You would definitely need these for carpenter work inside and outside the temple. Some suggested that this wood would have been for scaffolding to go up to the high, plates, uh, high places of the, of the temple. And then some believed, which is possible, that it was imported from Lebanon. But the fact is, God told them to go. That was an action. To go as a verb. So even after these 20 years that had passed, God, through Haggai, says, I want you to go to the hills and please build my house. God tells us that today. This is God's house. I'm foolish enough to believe that God dwells in this place with us. God is here today. He is in our midst today. As I am preaching, God is hearing my words. And God is in this place. This is his house. And so we should give our best to this place. We should give this place priority. And I do believe every time I get up here, whether I'm not able physically to do my best job, I do believe that God is in this place and that he's speaking to us. And the word for him to us is go into all the world and tell the gospel. 
and to build the house. The apostles are the foundation and we are the framework in which the Holy Spirit begins to build his house. How does his house look today right here? We got work to do. And so as your pastor, I would say, let's get busy. Let's get going. Let's make a commitment. Many of you I know are already committed. But for those that are on the outside, come in, get involved, and get active. And Haggai says to the people, go up to the hills and build the house. <coughs> Sorry, she, she told me I shouldn't do this, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, the purpose of doing his work. This almost sounds New Testament. Look at what Haggai writes in verse 8b. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Ratzah, the word to take pleasure, ratzah. It has two meanings, two possible meanings. To accept or receive an object as meeting standard requirements. So if they go and they build a temple, God will take pleasure in it. He will accept what is built for him. The second part of this is that he may be glorified because of the work that they are doing on the temple. Kavad, it's a nifal stem, not a qual, a, a nifal stem, has 17 meanings, but I'm going to give you three of them. That God may be distinguished, glorified, that he may be distinguished, or that he may be renowned. Renowned means well-known. Or it could mean God's high status. That God would be exalted among the nations, the high status. Brothers and sisters, that is the Christian life in a nutshell. It is to glorify God with our lives so that people can see God in us and go, wow, I want that. God is great. God is good. And so Haggai says the ultimate purpose of all of this is that God may take pleasure in what we have done for him in this life and that we may make him known to the world. That's the life. That's that's. This life, listen, this life is not about me. This life is not about you. This life is about him and that we make him known to the world and that in our lives as we have checked our hearts inwardly and we're living for him outwardly and we're doing what God calls us to do, God will bless us, I guarantee you. You may not be blessed financially, but you will be blessed in some way by God. When we turn our lives back to him and say, God, okay, I've done an honest examination. I find these are some areas in my life that need to be corrected. And God, I'm going to ask you to help me to correct them. And Father, I'm going to commit this day to live for you. I'm not going to stop anymore. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to do this or that. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And then, God, I want my life to reveal your glory. 
people don't, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot to glorify God. It really doesn't. Yeah, I know we think we, we think it does. But really, all it takes is a person who's committed. And Haggai says, I want you all to commit. I want you to commit. First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I see New Testament in here. We can't go back and believe that that was them back in the olden days. Some would even think my sermon techniques are archaic. I was told that by a PhD student one time. Your preaching doesn't work today. Okay. But it's what God gave me. The result of today is what God has been doing in my life ever since I answered the call. And I don't have to explain my sermon methodology to anybody. I use PowerPoint because people are visual. I learned that from Pastor Newt Larson. So if mine doesn't work, then they have to go back to a man who pastored 18,000 people and say it doesn't work. What? Yeah, don't ever stop. Yeah. The, the ultimate thing that God really cares about is this the truth being preached. It doesn't matter the means. Mac Lyons, maybe not a name familiar to you. Some would question Haggai's message. That's kind of bold. Yeah, it's bold. He had a message from God. But Mac Lyons would read his sermons. I used to watch him. I watched all these preachers. Used to throw popcorn at some. Uh, we had our Monday pastors club when I was in Bible college. We'd uh, get them, get them, we'd throw popcorn at it. Mac Lyons would read his sermon and you were so enthralled in what he was saying and he never raised his voice. God uses all kinds of preachers to reach all kinds of people. And there was Ben Hayden. There's been many others. And when we look at Haggai, his message was, boom, this is the reality of it. And this is what you can do to fix it. I do believe, I do believe this, not only from this text, but I do believe there are times in our lives, and this is my personal belief, and I think it's anchor, anchored in Scripture. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we miss a blessing from God because we are not following him. I do think that's true. Haggai said, you guys started it, Ezra, in Ezra. You'll, you'll see that again this week too, please. Um, you started it, but you didn't finish it. And so this was the implication of it. 
Second Corinthians 5.9. So whether we are, this is Paul writing. So whether we are home or away, home meaning home with him, we make it our aim to please God. That should be the goal of our lives. Let's land this before my throat gives out. It's good for us to check our spiritual lives. Ask the question, where does God fit? How much control does God have of your life? Another question, a very important question. Am I involved in the work of the church? Newt Larson, a friend of mine who pastored that, actually two mega churches simultaneously, one in Akron, one in Green. The one in Akron ran 18,000. The one in Green ran about seven. He said very few people were involved. They just came to church to hear the sermon and they would leave. Am I involved in the work of the church? A fourth thing. Seek to make it a daily goal to please God with your life. I think seeking to please God with your life should be right up there. And we all fail. We all stumble. We all struggle. We all sin. I get that. But how would your life be tomorrow morning if you woke up and said, Today, Lord, right now, I want to make it my goal today to please you. How would that set our day into motion? And that's a good, that's a good thing to start with, particularly on Monday. So I don't know what God has spoken to you about in your life through this message. I'm sorry I wasn't uh, physically well enough to preach like I normally do, but I'm here and I, and I did it for God. So whatever it is between you and God, I'm gonna, we're going to have an, a hymn of invitation here. You just come up and you speak to him um, and do whatever decisions you have.